We'll take our text tonight from the book of John. We'll look at John chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. We'll read 16 to 22, and then we'll jump down to verse 28 through 30. John 19, verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Verse 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Tonight, Christians all over the world are celebrating this night. We refer to it as Good Friday where we commemorate the death of Jesus. You know, during Passion Week, we started with last Sunday. That was Palm Sunday, and we look forward, of course, to next Sunday, which is Resurrection Day. But tonight we take this evening to consider his death. You might wonder why they would call this Good Friday. I remember when Diana was just a small child, we were talking about this one time and she said it shouldn't be called Good Friday, it should be called Bad Friday. And certainly from the perspective of many that day it was really anything but good. Consider how quickly public opinion had turned against Christ. If we go back just five days earlier, we read the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and all of those three Gospels tell about the exact same account. We look to the scriptures and they refer to that, or we refer to that as Palm Sunday. And many Christians even refer to that day, five days prior to Christ's triumphal entry. And indeed it was on that day, on that Sunday, when Christ entered the city. The word of God tells us that he came riding on a donkey. That was a symbol of peace. They said if a king were to enter a city on a donkey, he was coming in peace and if he were to be upon a horse, that means he would be coming for war. So we see Jesus, the Prince of Peace, entering the city that day on that Sunday, just five days prior. We see the multitudes that were gathered around him on that Palm Sunday, and they were praising the Lord, and some were following behind, some were going ahead. And as Jesus made his way to that city, he touched many along the way, and it seemed like that crowd just continued to grow, and they were shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, celebrating the Lord. On that Palm Sunday, the word Hosanna in the Hebrew means save us or save us now. So they had great expectations on this day. It said they threw their coats in his path on that Sunday. Or they cut down palm branches and laid them in the path of Jesus. It's believed that this was a show of deference and honor or an act of submission to royalty. So they were treating Jesus as a king on that Palm Sunday. I wonder what his disciples must have thought on that day as he rode into the city. No doubt many of them were probably thinking this would be the perfect opportunity for Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom. You know, the Lord at that on that Sunday was at the height of his popularity, and no doubt there was uh, great anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. What would cause the tide of public opinion to turn against Christ so quickly in just five days? You know, I believe more than anything it was because Christ had failed to meet their expectations. We've all had experiences of uh, maybe when we fail to meet somebody else's expectations. What is their opinion of us? What happens after that? We know that opinion of us, it goes down, and they don't hold us in such high esteem or high regard when we fail to meet their expectations. Maybe they realize we have a different agenda or a different idea or a different uh, vision or a different end game, whatever it may be. When we fail to meet people's expectations, they often become disappointed in us. Well, sadly... Apparently, Christ failed to meet some expectations on that Sunday. We know there were many in that crowd who were there for selfish reasons. They thought for sure, probably the majority of them thought that this would be the time when Jesus would come and he would he, they envision him as being their conquering Messiah and he was going to come and uh, overthrow the Roman government and deliver him from that Roman bondage. And so they were anticipating Jesus coming to set up his earthly kingdom. We, were no, we know there were those that followed Jesus uh, for other reasons. We know many were uh, followed Christ because of the loaves and the fishes and the wonderful things he had done. You know, there were many that were following Jesus for selfish reasons. There's many people that try to do that today. What can the Lord do for me? How can Jesus make my life better? How can he uh, make my present circumstances more comfortable? You know, even Jesus' own disciples, we read, at times had selfish motives. In the book of Mark, the 10th chapter, that's another account of uh, when Jesus was entering into the city during this day. And on the way there, he was explaining his, to his disciples what was going to happen to him. He foretold of his death, and he said that he would be um, delivered up and scourged and beaten and put to death. And on the third day, he would rise again. He was trying to warn them, let them know that his kingdom wasn't an earthly kingdom. But it's amazing as you read that account, as soon as Jesus got done telling his disciples about that, the very next verse, it says that James and John came unto him saying, Master, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you to grant us that we may sit on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Jesus was just telling them about his death and his crucifixion and his suffering, and they were thinking about their own 
selfish desires, their own selfish motives. They completely missed it. The sad thing is that people fail to realize Christ had greater dreams and greater hopes, greater expectations for them than they could have ever imagined. You know, the problem wasn't that they had set their expectations too high. They set their expectations too low. Their need was far greater than to be delivered from Roman oppression or the tyranny of the Roman government. No, they needed to be delivered from the bondage of sin and the powers of darkness. That's what Christ came to do, to deliver from spiritual bondage. It says he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captive. Jesus had much bigger plans for those people that day than they even had for themselves. You know, as Christ entered that city on that Palm Sunday, he realized that they had missed his true reason for coming. And that realization actually caused Jesus to weep. It broke his heart. As he went through that city and he got to the end of that city, it said he looked out on that city and he said he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying... Thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. He said, They knew not the time of thy visitation. They missed it. They were too blinded by their own pride, their own selfish ambitions, their own limited earthly expectations to see anything else. Cause the Lord to weep. I wonder if Jesus doesn't feel the same way today and he looks out over his creation and he sees people's lives destroyed by sin and he tries to visit them, tries to draw them unto himself and they continually reject him. I imagine it must break the Lord's heart even today, but he came for so much greater than they could have even expected or imagined. We see just five days later from that Sunday, we see an entirely different scene. No longer is Jesus entering the city to the praises of a cheering crowd. No longer is he welcomed as he, welcomed, as he entered uh, the gates of Jerusalem. Now we see him being driven out of that very city that seemed to throw the gates open to him just a week earlier. We see that cheering crowd became a howling mob. You know, I wonder if Jesus didn't see some of the same faces on this day that he saw a week prior. Now, only now they're not praising his adoration and singing his adoration. They're cursing him and they're condemning him to death. He was beaten and scourged, spat upon, humiliated and treated as a criminal rather than a king. Jesus was no longer being carried on a beast of burden. Now, instead, we see Christ carrying the weight of the entire world upon his shoulders. You know, that cross was by far not nearly the heaviest thing Jesus was carrying that day. It was the sin and the collective sin and shame of the entire world. He bore that on his shoulders as he made his way up Golgotha. You know, this wasn't a good day at all for Christ and his disciples. In the minds of the disciples, this this wasn't supposed to happen. This isn't what they had envisioned here for Jesus and for them. I suppose there may have been those that were even holding out hope to the very end. Maybe they thought that at any moment Jesus is going to put a stop to all of this. But they had to watch as he continued to make his way 
uh, up Golgotha, up Calvary's Hill to that cross, and there they had to witness this one that they had placed so much hope in, so much expectation. They saw Jesus crucified and hung on a cross between two thieves, and he was left there to die, treated like a common criminal. This wasn't a good day for Jesus or his disciples. This was the very last thing they had expected to happen. There may be, and even those in that crowd that thought, well, maybe Jesus will come down off that cross. You know, there were those that taunted Jesus. If you're the son of God, take yourself off that cross. You know, Jesus could have done that. It was within his power. He could have taken himself off that cross and maybe he would have even proved to some that he was Jesus. Maybe that would have been the proof they needed. But where would that leave us? Imagine if Jesus hadn't died on that cross. Where would that leave us today? We would have no reason to even be here tonight. We would still be lost and we'd be dead in our trespasses and our sins. Oh, we know Christ had to die. We know the Word of God tells us in order to redeem man from their sin. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says, We weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but through the precious blood of Jesus, that lamb without spot or wrinkle. Uh, we were purchased, our redemption was purchased on that cross through Christ's blood. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. God's word also tells us that God is reconciling the world to himself through the death of his son. So we can see Jesus had to die in order for us to be saved or in order for us to go free. Christ's death on the cross, it satisfied God's demand for justice. It says without the shedding of blood is no Remission of sin. You know, because God is righteous and holy, he can't just pardon the sin and the guilty without a price being paid. No, that consequence for sin must be first paid for before we can be forgiven and redeemed. Well, that price was paid through Christ's blood on the cross. He purchased our pardon, our redemption. The justice of God was satisfied. You know, somebody once said the cross is the place where God's wrath and God's mercy and grace meet together. Psalm 85.10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So we can see God's wrath was poured out on Christ on that cross, but his love and his mercy and the price for our redemption was also paid on that cross that day. We're sanctified through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, was willing to suffer outside the gate. Hebrews 10, 10 says, we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. There's healing in the blood of Christ. Do you realize if Jesus hadn't paid that price on Calvary, that blood hadn't been shed, you'd never hear a testimony of divine healing. But that's part of that atonement. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Of course, we know without the death of Christ, there could be no resurrection. 
Jesus had to die in order to be raised up from the dead. It's really hard to not jump into Easter right now. I'm going to try not to. But Jesus had to die to be raised again. But aren't you thankful? We know because he lives, we can live also. You know, no wonder we call it Good Friday. When we realize what Jesus did for us there on that cross, you know, the cross and the price that was paid on that cross is what will save us from a lost eternity. Close with a little story here. Several years ago, a late pastor by the name of Adrian Rogers was telling a story about a young man who was visiting the city of Chicago, and he was looking for a particular club in that city, and the name of that club was the Gates of Hell. It was a notoriously awful place. Its Its reputation lived up to its name if you wanted to spend a night of debauchery, you would go to this club. It was known in the city as being a den of iniquity. It was called the Gates of Hell. Well, this young man wanted to visit there, and he wasn't quite sure how to get there. He wasn't familiar with the city, so he began to ask around, and he found somebody who was a local there, and they were familiar with this particular club. So he asked him, he said, how do I get to the Gates of Hell? Well, Here's the directions. This is how he described it. Listen to the irony of his directions. It says, the local said to the young man, you are already pretty close to it. Just walk down this street and turn the corner and you will find it halfway down the block. Go down this street and turn right and go past Calvary. Once you go past Calvary, you can't miss it. The church at the corner was called Calvary Baptist Church. And the young man was told, if you want to get to the gates of hell, just walk right past Calvary and you will find it. Well, no one knows if this young man arrived at the gates of hell that night. But anyone who dies without Christ is headed there. There's only two destinations. We know at one point in our lives we were all headed to that lost eternity. Oh, but aren't you thankful that between us, In a lost eternity, there was this place called Calvary. Oh, Jesus stepped in. He paid that price. We don't have to be lost. You can stop out Calvary, kneel at the cross, and the Lord's blood will save you. The Lord will prepare you, make you ready for heaven. Oh, it's so wonderful as we consider the price that Christ paid for us. You know, the Word of God tells us in Hebrews 9.28, It's that cross and that blood that prepares us for the Lord's return. It says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Have you taken advantage of that offer? It says he offered to bear the sins of many. Have you bent your knee at Calvary? Have you experienced the precious blood of Jesus wash over you and cleanse you? You can experience that tonight. The good news is Calvary's stream is still flowing. That price that was paid on that cross so long ago is still being extended today. That blood is still just as powerful today as it ever was. If you need to be sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, these are all made available through the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful we can come to the Lord tonight? You can 
knew where you are or bend your knee, but oh, bend your knee at Calvary tonight and the Lord will meet you. You know, if you do that, you can leave this place saying, truly, this is a good Friday. The Lord can bless you tonight. He can meet your needs. I encourage you, uh, thank the Lord. Consider what Jesus did so many years ago. Thank the Lord for it, and the Lord will bless you tonight. Let's pray.